Let's now take our Bibles and let's read from the Word of God. The reading is from Romans 8. We'll read verses 18 through to the end. 18 through to 39. We read here the Word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God." And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are, the call, who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ Jesus who died, and furthermore he is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the text for the proclamation of the Lord's word is this morning is verses 28 to 30. Let us read them once more. And if we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Thus far, the reading from God's holy word. 
That's the proclamation of the Lord's Word. We will sing from hymn 67, verses 1, 4, and 6. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how was your week this past week? Did you have a good week? Did the Lord bless you with joy and happiness, prosperity? Or did you have a difficult week? Difficult week. Did you suffer with loss, struggles, hardships, disappointment? Indeed, sometimes life can be very hard. When you listen to the news this past week again, it must have been hard for many, many families. Such tremendous loss because of the Hurricane Ian and Hurricane Fiona. can't imagine yourself being in such a situation. Indeed, there could be great moments of suffering. What joy can there be in life then when you have to suffer so much? Perhaps, maybe closer to home, maybe among your own congregation, maybe you have certain families that seem to be struggling all the time loss of life, young families perhaps. You wonder why? What joy is then in life when you have to suffer so much? What makes life then worth living? Well, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Lord, wrote some very encouraging words. Words that would lift us up in times of bitter struggles. Words that would comfort us and encourage us to keep on going And look forward to that everlasting glory that is prepared for us through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul speaks much about our present suffering. The Apostle Paul knew what suffering was all about. Listen to what he wrote to the Corinthians. He says, I have been imprisoned frequently. I have been flogged severely. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. And you know why minus one? Because it was considered the 41 would kill a person. So five times he was at death's door, so to speak. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent many a night and a day in open seas. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Clearly, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul was well equipped to speak about suffering. He too knew what suffering was all about. And yet, after all the suffering that the Apostle Paul went through, he says these beautiful, inspired words of Scripture. I consider that the present suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Indeed, if there was something that could caused the Apostle Paul to, to lose the faith after all that he went through, surely he could have fallen prey to that. But as it is, he still loved the Lord despite all the sufferings he went through. And that made also the Apostle Paul realize that this is not man's doing, for no man could bear up under such suffering. If he did not know the Lord, it would be hopeless life. Those who don't know the Lord have a terrible time. But the Apostle Paul knew that the Lord was in control. That these things do not happen by chance. God has a purpose. And that purpose is that we be refined to shine like our Lord Jesus, to be like Him, to the glory and praise of God the Father. Yes, God gave His Son in His likeness so that we would be like Him. 
and righteousness and holiness and knowledge and obedience. And brothers and sisters, God established that in us what is often called the golden chain of salvation, of which the Apostle Paul gives us here five links, namely that of knowledge, predestination, called, justified, and glorified. There are five links in this chain. And all five of these links must be seen and received as the work of God, the work of God alone. For as the saying goes, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And so if any link in this chain is the work of man, it would collapse altogether. But as we will see, each link is from God, is a work of God, and thus this chain cannot collapse. It will not collapse. It will fulfill the purpose of its creator. And seeing this and realizing this gave the Apostle Paul and the Roman Christians who were experiencing bitter times, persecuting times, so much strength and so much comfort. And from that too, brothers and sisters, we are to derive much strength when we have to go through bitter struggling, bitter sufferings as well, be it through persecution or loneliness, handicaps, old age, whatever loss we may, may befall us. And so, brothers and sisters, I may proclaim to you the word of God this morning as follows. Because it is God who has established the golden chain of salvation, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we will see that this chain is determined in eternity, is worked out in our lives, and ends in everlasting glory. So first of all, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, because the golden chain of salvation is determined in eternity. Now, while the golden chain of salvation is actually only mentioned in two verses, verses 29 and 30, we also need to look at verse 28, because the Apostle Paul spoke about the golden chain of salvation as the ground for that bold statement that he just made in verse 28, namely, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a statement that we often quote to comfort a brother or sister who's struggling, who experiences tremendous grief, a tremendous loss, particularly in a situation where we don't have answers, particularly in a situation where we remind again that God's ways are not our ways. And while we express these words, because these words are words of comfort, they're supposed to be words of comfort to us, yet deep within ourselves, don't we sometimes struggle with these words? All things work for the good of those who love him? Really? But some things don't make sense, do they? For example, when, when you have a, a young family, a young father is, is killed in a car accident and at least three little children behind for the wife to take care of. A young mother dies of cancer when he has little children home. How can this be? All things working for the good of those who love him. We just don't understand it. We rather cry out in bitter grief. Why, Lord? What's the meaning of this? Why do you allow this to happen? How could you allow this to happen when you are a loving God? You have promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. Not even a hair will fall from my head without you knowing. And so there's so much groaning going on into this world. The Apostle wrote, Paul also wrote about that in earlier verses. The creation is groaning. We ourselves are groaning. Even the Spirit of God within us groans 
Because this earth and everything in it is subject to decay. It's still in bondage to decay because of man's sin. And so there's so much groaning. The creation groans because it experienced the effects of God's curse on man's sin. And so it groans in eager expectation of the glorious redemption of the children of man. Children of God. God's people groan in their times of trial and adversity on this earth. They're looking forward to something better. For the complete fulfillment of their adoption as sons. For the resurrection of their bodies unto everlasting glory. And the spirit within us groans. Even with groanings that human words cannot express. Indeed, sometimes in extreme bitterness moments of our grief. We don't even know how to pray anymore. But then the spirit of God within us intercedes for us. All this groaning, says Paul, points to an eager anticipation for that which is to come. God is preparing us for heavenly glory. God, in his wisdom, allows tragedies, trials in our lives. For with it, he draws us closer to him for our comfort. And so that we are more eagerly anticipate heavenly glory. Look forward to being with our Lord in eternity. For that, brother, says that that is God's ultimate purpose, that he be glorified by a redeemed mankind in glory. And God brings this about by putting into place what is commonly called the golden chain of salvation. Now, if anyone uses a chain, he does not only look at that first link, but also at that last link. You see, that first link generally tells you the quality of the link is it strong enough to do its job? But the last link will tell you that it's long enough to complete the job, the purpose. And that's also the case in the golden chain of salvation that God has established in order to bring us, his children, to redemption for his glory. It is with that last link in mind that the Lord places, puts in place all the other links. That last link is most important to him. That's where his purpose lies. That he once again is glorified by a redeemed mankind in glory. And having established this as his purpose, he then establishes and sets in motion, each in his time, the various links required to come to this goal, to come to this purpose of his will. Now the first two links in this chain is knowledge and predestination. As the Apostle Paul wrote, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Foreknew and predestined indicate a period before time existed. Scripture, in a number of passages, tells us that these two links in the chain take place in eternity. God foreknew and predestined us to glory originated in eternity, in the eternal counsel of God before the creation of this universe. So the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This eternal act of God, this foreknowledge and predestination, begins in, eternal, in eternity and continues unto everlasting life and heavenly glory. It is only brought to completion when God gathers his people on the new heaven, on the new earth, on the last day.
That is God's work. And so two things are very important here, brothers and sisters. First of all, that this, that this chain indeed began in eternity. And secondly, of equal importance, that this is completely the work of God. No man yet existed, so there cannot be any cooperation of man, of his being chosen unto eternal glory. It is not God doing his part and man doing his part. No, it is completely God's work. And because it is completely the work of God, the Apostle Paul can with confidence say in verse 1, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And later on in verse 39, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why not? Because God did it, not man. God did it. And so there can be no condemnation. No one will be snatched from the Father's hand because it is his work, not man's work, one little bit. But that does not mean, brothers and sisters, that we can now simply do what we want, whatever we please, since God has now determined our salvation anyways unto eternity. Not at all. But then we are reminded what the Apostle Paul also wrote to the Philippians. To them he wrote, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Thus, we are to actively work out our salvation. We are to actively make Christ's redemption on the cross our own. How? By believing it and by living it with joy and thankfulness in our daily lives and also being prepared to sacrifice if Christ, God, requires it of us. But just because we need to follow through in what God has done for us, out of thankfulness, that does not mean that we are now control, in control whether we want to be saved or not. No, for then the Apostle Paul quickly adds, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see again, it is God's work. It is he who gives us thankful hearts. It is he who moves us to live a life for him in obedience and holiness. Praise God, brothers and sisters. Otherwise, we would not be saved. We would still be dead in our sins. All right, we still need to look at that word foreknowledge of God. For there are those who who think that they have a text here that defends their position that God chose man based on God's foreknowledge of what man would do. They too say that God determined man's salvation in eternity. We agree on that. But they say that God, in his ability to have foreknowledge, looked into time and saw all those who would open the hearts of the Lord Jesus and accept Jesus in their hearts. That's a term, terminology they use. And therefore, God predestined their salvation, predestined them to glory. Thus, God's election, predestination of man unto glory is based on man's work, on man's activity, man's faith and decision to accept the offer of God in Christ. And that way they have neatly worked in man's cooperation in his salvation. In fact, man has ultimately become his own savior, not so. For now it's left up to man. When he wills to open up his heart to the Lord Jesus, when he wants to take up the offer of God's salvation in Christ. But brothers and sisters, Scripture teaches us that there is no cooperation of man when it comes to God's foreknowledge, predestination of certain men unto salvation and unto glory. Scripture teaches us that from beginning to end, it is totally and only the work of God. 
You already saw that with Ephesians 1 and Philippians 2. We can also look at, at Ephesians 2, where the Apostle Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not the results of man's work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which prepared beforehand <clears throat> that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, not our own work. Our faith, our ability to embrace Christ as our Savior, that is a gift from God. How much clearer can it be that there's no cooperation of man? Take also the words of our Lord Jesus in John 6. No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. No one can come to the Father except God draws him. God draws man unto himself. Just as God drew Lydia of, of Acts 16 to himself. And there we read that God, it is God who opened Lydia's heart and he did so through the working of the Holy Spirit which accompanied, who accompanied the preaching of the Apostle Paul. But then we're still left with the question, how do we, are we to understand foreknowledge then? Then we are to take note that this is the first link in the chain of salvation. Then it's just like a builder. What's the first thing the builder is going to do? He's not going to think about the foundation first. No. The first thing he's going to think about is what he wants his house to look like. How big, what shape, how many rooms, etc. And with that foreknowledge in mind of what he wants his house to look like, he begins to put into place his plan, step by step, link by link, in order to bring about in reality the picture he had in mind of what he wants his house to look like. Well, God does the same. He foreknew what he wanted. And what he wanted was a people who would give him glory forever and ever in glory. And with this foreknowledge in mind, God goes about implementing each link in order to fulfill his purpose. And then God also determined what this people who would glorify him would look like. They would look like his son. That is, in Christ we are again set apart, holy for God unto eternal glory. And in Christ's resurrected spirit at work in us, through God's word proclaimed to us, we can again begin to do right, although still with much weakness and sins and shortcomings. And again, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, have dominion over sin, Satan, and this world, until finally on the last day we can glorify him in all perfection in heavenly glory. But first, what God had determined in eternity must be worked out in our real lives, in the lives of all those whom God has chosen unto salvation and for, for his glory. And so we come to the second point. The golden chain of salvation, which begins in eternity, is worked out in our lives. And so nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. So now we come to the second, the next two links in the golden chain of salvation, namely calling and justification. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, he also justified. Here again, we must 
First of all, note that also the calling to salvation and being justified unto salvation is completely God's work and not man's work. And secondly, we must realize that the manner God brings this about is through his spirit by his word. He would have proclaimed to us. And therefore, there are those who have objections to those who say that this chain of the Apostle Paul, they say this chain of the Apostle Paul is not complete. For it doesn't mention the work of sanctification. David said that the list should have read, those who God justified, he also sanctified, and those he sanctified, he also glorified. But brothers and sisters, we should realize that no one is justified who is not also sanctified. They are two sides of one coin. For no one can claim Jesus as his Savior, that is justification, if he does not at the same time hold the Lord Jesus as his Lord and Master. That is sanctification. So you would submit to the full word of Christ as we receive it in our Bibles and so conform our lives according to it. As the Lord Jesus once said, not the one who cries, Lord, Lord, on the last day will enter heavenly glory, but he who also does the will of his heavenly Father. Thus it can be said that when the Apostle Paul mentions calling and justification, he includes all the work of the Spirit in the life of those predestined unto glory. And that would include also faith and sanctification. All right. Now that God has determined before the foundation of the world those chosen unto heavenly glory, that is the beginning and the end of the chain, how does he bring the beginning to the end? Well, God doesn't treat us as robots, as keyboards and our computers, but as living beings with intellectual minds, with moral persuasions, which indeed must constantly be conformed in the likeness of Christ which is exactly what he's doing with the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in us as he has his word proclaimed us from Sunday to Sunday. And as he reads his holy word daily. Those whom God predestines, he also calls. God calls by bringing those to receive glory to where they can hear the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not one of those predestined unto glory will be missing. That also determines the way we do mission work. Well, we, while we may not be lazy with respect to Christ's mandate to the church that we need to go preach the gospel to all nations, we also do not need to do mission work in panic, in anxiety. For there are those who say, we've got to get out there. Let's all those people perish before they die. No, then we can calmly say to them, not one of those God has predestined unto glory will be missing. Each one will in his time come to hear the call of salvation as his word is proclaimed to them and they will respond. Oh yes, not everyone is going to respond the same way or immediately with equal enthusiasm. Some may also come and go and, and need to go through a time of scorching, so to speak, before they truly cling to God as their heavenly father and to Lord Jesus as their only comfort in life and death. But this calling, brothers and sisters, of the Lord through the preaching to those unto glory is an effectual calling. That is, it will take place in all those chosen of the Lord, those destined unto salvation. 
And this is then how it works. When the word of God is proclaimed to you, as the word enters your ears, the Holy Spirit accompanies that word. And it gives you understanding in your mind. And it changes your heart. It changes your life. The Holy Spirit does this then a work of new birth in the heart of the individual. This is called the regeneration work of the Holy Spirit. It makes us new being. The Holy Spirit gives us new birth. The Holy Spirit of God alone regenerates man. Makes him a new creature, a new creation to the glory of God. You see here again, regeneration is not dependent on man's action. Regeneration is the work of the Spirit of God apart from man. While these work in man, in time, when the gospel was proclaimed to him, then it does indeed cause a man to walk the newness of life. The work of the Spirit is a work of conversion and, and repentance. It is a spirit that converts the heart of man, and inclines it to, which is inclined to all evil, to now want to please God. That's a heart that is converted by the Spirit of God, constantly seeks repentance from sin, and forgiveness of sins, and hates sin, and flees from sin. But it must be clear, as we have no part in our physical birth, for we don't have a, a say in if and when we wanted to be born, so too we have no say in our regeneration and being born again in the Spirit. It is as the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know from where it comes and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. As our physical birth took place entirely outside of our will, so also our spiritual rebirth. It is God who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calls us by placing the life of Christ in our hearts by his spirit through his word. And it is a powerful call, brothers and sisters, for the calling is God's work. It's not the work of a, of a powerful preacher. It's not the work of a soul-stirring emotional songs. It's not the work as a result even of a suffering or of a serious accident, but those things may awaken us to go to where we can hear the word of God be proclaimed, the word of comfort. No, it is God who calls. That honor is his and his alone, and his is all the power. To him alone belongs all the credit to bringing us unto glory. And it is an irresistible call. As the Lord Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He who calls us, he draws us. And he draws us, he draws us to the cross. For so the Apostle Paul said, those whom he called, he also justified. I'll say that word slowly. Justified. Just as if I died. Justified. That's a good way to remember the meaning of justified. Justification, isn't it? For what does the word justification mean? It is the ability that God gives us to believe and to embrace Christ's death on the cross just as if I died on the cross. And therefore I stand acquitted, not guilty, righteous before God Almighty. By embracing Christ's death as my own, as if I died on the cross, which I couldn't because I'm a sinner, yet that gift of believing and embracing Christ as my deliverer, that moves God, my righteous judge, to declare me not guilty, justified, righteous in Christ. Because I embrace Christ's righteous death on the cross, just as if I died, I am free from all condemnation. 
And because God gave his son to die on the cross for me, just as if I died, nothing, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. And so we come to the last point. The golden chain of salvation, which, brings, which began in eternity and has worked out in our personal lives, ends in everlasting glory. The final link is glorification. As the Apostle Paul wrote, and those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Well, when we think of glorification, we think of heaven, don't we? And we think of that heavenly abode of our great God and Savior. And then we can think of, of Revelation chapter 4, for there we, John receives a glimpse of the throne room of God. And there we see God Almighty sitting on his holy throne. And the four living creatures around the, four, around the throne of God with their eyes covered in front and back. But we hear them never stop singing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What an awesome sight. Heaven must be. But just get that holy throne room of God. You know what? The most thrilling thing of all, brothers and sisters, what the Apostle Paul was also allowed to see was that around the four living creatures, there were 24 other thrones. And on those thrones were 24 elders. Elders. You have elders. People are sitting on those thrones. People like you and me, in flesh and blood, glorified bodies, like the Lord Jesus when he was resurrected. Yes, here we see, don't we, how God indeed accomplished his foreknowledge, his plan, his purpose, which he determined in eternity and worked out in real people in real time so that we will now have a people who are redeemed, worshiping him in glory, singing praises to him with the four living creatures. For these 24 elders are the fulfillment of the golden chain of salvation. For what did the apostle John see the 24 elders wearing? They were dressed in white and they had golden crowns of gold on their heads. They were victorious, just as if they had died on the cross. They are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. That these 24 elders represent the Old and New Testament church is confirmed later in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, before the seventh and the final seal is opened, we see a glimpse of all those sealed unto glory. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, meaning they were joyously celebrating their being washed in the blood of the Lamb. It was a great multitude which no man could number, which the Apostle John saw. And you know what? You and I will be among them. For it is as the Apostle Paul, after contemplating on the wonderful golden chain of salvation, a chain that was thought out by God alone and worked out by God alone, so that none can be separated from his love, each person preordained will meet his or her glorious end. That causes the Apostle Paul to ask, what then shall we say to these things? What then can you say to these things? We will then say, as we will say now, though now yet with much imperfection, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength 
be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you can sing those praises now with your whole heart today, then you will be singing those praises even more so to God and glory for an eternity. For the apostle Paul has just pointed out that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For nothing can break this golden chain of our salvation. Because as we have seen from beginning to the end, it is God's work. And those who are part of it will know it. You know that you are part of it. Through the Holy Spirit working in you, the fruits of faith. And you know, what's the most wonderful thing of all, brothers and sisters, it's not that heaven is so beautiful. It's surroundings and everything in it. And heaven and earth will finally be reunited as it was in paradise. God walking among men, we being with God, God being with us. But imagine, brothers and sisters, standing before your heavenly Father in full consciousness of how much you have hurt Him all those years, all those sins, all those weaknesses and shortcomings. And can you imagine standing before your Lord Jesus Christ in full consciousness of, of what you've done, what He's done for you on the cross, paid for all your sins. And then you hear Him saying to you, though your sins are like scarlet, I made them as white as snow. Welcome, my brother. Welcome, my sister. Welcome to the joy of your Master. What then can we say? We will be speechless, only to respond with an outburst of songs or praise, with tears of joy flowing down our cheeks. But brothers and sisters, listen to this too. This last link, while it ends in heaven, it already begins here on this earth. Yes, we have a foretaste of that glory already now. Where? Right here. Also today. Here in worship. Here in fellowship with the saints. Here we have a certain foretaste of that heavenly glory as we assemble together in church in holy worship. True, it's yet an imperfect assembly. Our minds do wander sometimes, and sometimes we wish the preacher was a little more elegant, and sometimes we do get a little bit sleepy. Yet under the preaching and in fellowship with God's people, we receive a certain foretaste of the glory of the heavenly assembly to be. And that's why God's children also grieve when they can't come to church due to sickness, adversity, or being elderly. But they don't want to miss out of this foretaste. For we have here a little bit of an idea of what heaven must be like when we can sing together, when we can pray together, we can have fellowship together, we can listen to our Father speaking to us through a servant, and we can, as we this afternoon may, also sit around the Lord's table together. That's a foretaste of the heavenly feast. Yes, every Sabbath day, brothers and sisters, is truly a foretaste of the glory to be. So when we think again about that golden chain of salvation, I wish the Apostle Paul spoke how it began before the world was formed, and how it goes through this age into everlasting heavenly glory, then we rejoice. We can hardly wait, can't we? We can hardly wait for the last day. We constantly cry out, Lord Jesus, come soon, Maranatha. 
Yes, brothers and sisters, we are yet traveling in a foreign land. We are pilgrims and, and strangers here on this earth. And we may yet need to suffer much for Christ. But the Lord has told us of the glory that is ours, which he alone has established and established in his only son so that it can never, ever be broken. It stands firm and sure forever. It is true and certain. Brothers and sisters, let that be your strength. Let that be your comfort in this new week that is before us until your last day that we may stand together in heavenly glory. Amen.